What's up, everybody? Welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. JJ Jerez here, of course. Arif Dean here, of course. And we've got a guest with us today, Kyle Fredrickson of the Gazette. Kyle, thanks so much for hanging out with us today and uh, chatting some abs. we got some off-season podcasts to fill, so we thought you'd be a perfect person to bring in and kind of look back at the year and just kind of go over some things. So, um, yeah, for starters, thanks for coming in and, uh, easy softball question for you. How did you enjoy your first full year on the beat? Of course you had, you know, some experience filling in, in years past, but this was your first full year completely hands-on. So, um, how'd it go for you? It was awesome, man. I'm not going to lie. I, it might've been the most fun that I've had on a beat, you know, and since some of my very first experiences, uh, in this industry, uh, mostly just because the team is very good. There, there's a lot more access than I'm used to, just in terms of having that open locker room after practices, um, you know, really getting a chance to know these guys on a different level. Uh, really refreshing, you know, uh, coming from uh, the Broncos space and college football space, where there's just a little bit more kind of protection of, of athletes of when they talk and when, you know, who talks when. Uh, that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, you know, wasn't the the finish that any of us maybe expected, you know, based on how the season played out at different points of the year. But man, uh, when you look at how that year ended with the Val situation and, and the way this team was constructed, I don't think any of us was, was really surprised they bowed out in that first round. But, you know, uh, regardless of ending, I got to say it was a really fun season uh, covering, you know, legitimate future Hall of Fame players. You know, I think I had to kind of pinch myself a few times to be like, man, I, I get paid to watch Kale McCarr and, and Nathan McKinnon. Like, th that's just insane. You know, the, the two of the best guys to ever do it. So, yeah, a, a cool experience. Looking forward to next year already. Um, but also enjoying this summer, as I'm, I'm sure you guys are, after uh, just how long the year lasted. You're year. not enjoying anything. I see you covering Rockies games lately. <laughs> well, there's, there's no enjoyment there. That's a good point. You know, in, in this newspaper Ouch. world, uh, covering one team isn't really a, a thing anymore, especially when there's a lot of turnover on the staff and, and just people needed in different roles. So, yeah, I've been uh, doing some Rockies coverage. I'll be helping out with NBA Finals stuff. More kind of just periphery kind of feature stuff to, to bolster some of our, our good coverage that we already have at the Gazette. Um, but yeah, man, uh, no, no, no rest for the weary, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, there's always something to write about. Uh, but, you know, taking advantage of some some free nights away from the arena, because I think that was maybe the biggest drawback to this beat. It's like, man, you guys are you're out there every night and, you know, 12, 1 a.m. sometimes getting out of there. It's it's a grind. Yeah, I mean, the last guy we had on here was Peter Baugh, and the Avalanche won a cup last year. He spent the eight weeks off writing a book, went into this season. The Avalanche ended early, and the dude was in, you know, covering Nuggets games. I'm like, <laughs> someone eventually, I'll got to start taking breaks. <laughs> um, but like to go back to what you said, you know, you've, uh, or to what JJ said, you've had a little bit of experience covering this team. Uh, obviously, for years, you were at the Denver Post. My first interaction with you was before I ever moved here full time. In 2019, I came in for a couple of games to cover Colorado-San Jose, the series that ended with the Landis-Gog offside thing. And it was one of the home games, maybe game four, maybe game six. One of those home games, actually it was games three and four. Um, I came in and you were working You were working at the Denver Post at the time. You were the second, uh, you were kind of like secondary helping out Mike Chambers at the time. Um, so like you've been there for every playoff run that I've been there pretty much. Obviously 2020 sure. was wonky. Right, 2021 right. was even more wonkier, but what have you seen from this team? Because like you said, you pinch yourself that you're covering future hall of famers. We just saw them win a Stanley cup less than 12 months ago. And it looks like their window is just now opening. Yeah. It's, it's been really cool to watch and, and to cover as I'm sure that, that you guys agree. And, and maybe the, some of the biggest takeaways I have from this avalanche team is just the value of a front office structure that is consistent and works, right? I mean, we're, we're not talking about, oh, you know, what, what did the GM do wrong, you know, this season? You know, why, why couldn't the Avs uh, make a deeper run? Maybe they, you know, get a guy or two in free agency that would have bolstered this lineup. You know, it could do hindsight 2020 all day. But the way that this team is set up, I think now and for the future to compete, it really goes back to, to Chris McFarlane and, and Joe Sackick and the way that those guys have, have worked together for so long. And, and I will say I did appreciate uh, the fact that we did get McFarlane several times this season, right? I, I don't know that in other sports there is as much of that kind of transparency between the front office and reporters 
uh, to answer some of those questions. So that's maybe one of the, the bigger takeaways that, that I've kind of experienced on this beat. And, you know, I, I covered a, a bad Broncos team for the post for a couple of years. And, and that's the opposite, right? That's a, an ownership structure that doesn't work. John Elway's out. They got a new guy in. I mean, the turnover they've had at head coaches. At times it was just embarrassing, to, to be honest with you. So for me, you know, it wasn't refreshing to come into a, uh, covering a team um, that knew what it was and knew how good it was. Um, it is a funny beat in that those post-game locker rooms are like so incredibly quick. I'm, I'm curious what you guys think of that. Like, is that a pro or a con to the job? Um, because I, I really do feel like there are times after games where we don't get every answer we need just because those guys are, you know, they're in the shower, they're getting out of the room. Uh, is that you know, people are in bad you guys? moods, right? Yeah. I, I got to say real quick, I don't know if, you know, I know you're on the avalanche beat now and I know the nut, the not sorry, not the Nuggets. The Broncos have been a little wonky the last few years, but I don't know if you caught this season. Apparently, they traded for a quarterback. Shit hit the fan. They got a new coach. It's just that was from the first game, that opening game where they had like that last minute. They were in the red zone and couldn't score a touchdown, and then it happened like two weeks in a row. Following that was a roller coaster, and I'm glad you didn't have to deal with that again. Thank but God, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's actually funny hearing your take on other sports because, like, in the NHL world, the Avalanche are let's face it, they're like bottom third in the league in terms of access. So sure. it's fascinating to hear like other teams get to talk to their GMs or some some of the other teams talk to their GMs a little bit more. Some of the other teams get access to assistant coaches, which is a big no-no with the mm. Avalanche. Uh, some of the other teams get, you know, better coverage for one-on-ones. Like you said, the post-game locker rooms, how everybody kind of dips out, especially after losses. Yeah. Uh, but it's just fascinating to kind of hear how, because, you know, I, I my experience is in this sport. I've done a little bit of college stuff, but it was like two football games, two basketball games. Like I haven't been on the beat in other sports to, to, to kind of see the difference. That's what's interesting about the Avalanche press box currently, right? I mean, and I like even the way they have us all seated there in that front row because you've almost got the journalists on one side, the hockey guys on the other side, and then you have Arif in the middle who's kind of a, a hybrid of both. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, but it, it, yeah, I love that dynamic in the press box. But I guess I wanted to use that to come to transition to just the hockey culture, right? I guess what have been some of the biggest eye-opening things about just fully immersing yourself into hockey culture. Um, of course, you know, because you, you have so many different perspectives, especially in, in the press box, like I'm saying, you got the very media driven and, and journalistic guys. And then you've got the guys on the other side that are very more hockey minded. So, you know, coming into all of it and jumping head first, what have you kind of noticed and maybe taken back by? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I, on the whole, I, you know, and I've tweeted this and other people have said this, and this isn't some new idea, but it does make me sad that hockey isn't on sort of that same national platform that the NBA and the NFL get, right? Because it's an incredible product. Like, I have kind of changed my sports watching interest uh, to enjoying hockey more than even football, just because I like how quickly it moves, there's fewer breaks. There's just this element of like grace and physicality in the sport that other sports have, but it's just, it's not like so drastic, right? It's like a play can be so beautiful. And then like a horrible, nasty thing happens where a guy gets cross-checked in the face, right? There's just like this element of, of that in the sport that, that I've really enjoyed, you know, from a culture standpoint and kind of learning about hockey fans, it did take a while for the emails to stop of people being like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, Oh, you, you put this in your story and you clearly don't watch hockey and blah, blah. So, you know, I, I do think there's like a little bit of gatekeeping that happens like because of my previous point, right? hockey. No, right. Right. Cause people are like, they're so proud of this sport and like, whatever, we're not the NFL or the NBA, but like you better know this sport if you're following it. So I think, is I kind of learned that and have, have written about this team. And, you know, I'm no hockey expert. I, you know, I played street hockey in my uh, cul-de-sac growing up with my brothers and, and all the neighborhood kids, but that's really where, you know, my experience playing the sport ended. Um, so I kind of approached the, my storytelling and, and my job is really like explaining to readers, like more educating them at times. Right. Like, cause I think a lot of our Gazette readers aren't your diehard hockey mm -hmm. people, right? They're not coming, like the people coming to your side are like, man, I love the abs. You know, I have JJ and Eric have been doing this for a long time. Like that's my source. For me, it's taken a little while to kind of build some of that and, and, and kind of generate that. And, and for me, you know, I want my authentic, my reporting to be authentic, right? Like I'm not going to come out with some hard stance about what the abs should do 
when like I have no clue what they should do, right? So for me, you know, being transparent about that, it, I think at times it's it's helped me with players because I've had players like explain hockey stuff to me because I come from a place where like, hey, I, I need to be educated about this. And I do think the abs, you know, do a, a good job of, of catering to that, at least to me over the past year. Um, you know, and Arif, to your point, as the season went on, I did learn a thing or two about the abs PR strategy that maybe I didn't understand when the first season started. Obviously we can talk about Val being kind of the, the poster yeah. child of that, but I do think it's a little bit sad that, you know, among PR staffs, it seems like the abs are intent on protecting their image and their product above all else. Right. It's, it's an old school mentality. It's, it's how the team's been run for a long time. I'm sure. But in this new modern age where, like, we all have access to public records and, and you know, where we are on the Internet, like, things are available to us, I do think it would have been better in that situation and in other situations for the Avs to have a little bit more transparency, to not walk the, the company line or the league line um, in a way that kind of just made it feel uncomfortable for us sometimes, you know. And, and, and I guess that, to me, was maybe the big, bigger drawback of being on the year, uh, on this beat for the first year. Um, was really experiencing that firsthand and thinking, you know, I just, it doesn't seem like truth is being held up as the most important thing. And when you're a reporter, I mean, that's, that's everything. Yeah. I mean, the avalanche have been run by the PR department has been run by the same person since their days with the Nordique. So it very much is like that. And I love what you said about, you know, they, they try to focus hard on protecting their image where by doing so you, you are hurting your image. Yeah. There's because, risk there. Yeah. yeah. There, there's, there's massive risk there because it gets to a point where let's, let's, let's chat Val Nichushkin. I mean, public records are available. We all got our hands on them and the team was still mum about it. And, yeah, and, yeah. and it's just, it's, it's one of those things where you almost try to overprotect in a day and age where because everything's readily available because of social media, because of Twitter, because how quickly it is for me to like, I, I, I love, I love one of my college professors a decade ago in 2013, this guy used to cover the Red Wings for the Detroit news, you know, way, way back before he ever taught me. And he said, Eric, I can't explain to you how crazy it is. And he's like, and I'm going to sound like a boomer. Like you wouldn't believe. And this dude was an older guy. He said, I can't explain to you how crazy it is that I can be at a game take out my computer, type 10 words and press this enter button. And all of my readers see it right away. He's like, that's not the way it was when I was your age. Like it is a very different way that we absorb information and content to the point where it's, it's hard to be that overprotective and, and that kind of quiet because how many fans and readers and listeners would have known anything about Val Nachushkin missing other than the assumption of, eh, he's probably injured. He missed morning skate and he's probably injured and is hobbling like he has been all season until the next morning when they picked up the paper to the point where now, you know, by the end of the first period, all of us in the press box knew what was going on. All the readers knew what was going on. And then Jared Bednar was very, you know, put up that wall and, and, and wouldn't break through it. Yeah. And I will say, you know, on Jared's behalf, I think the consensus that we came to after the Val stuff is that it felt like he was more being propped up to do an impossible job. Yeah. I don't I don't know how much input he would have had in terms of that conversation of what they were willing to say and not willing to say about it. Um, I love covering Jared all year. He's yeah. great. I mean, as you guys know, it's there are times when he'll just keep rolling on a question and, and he's awesome. But it's clear to me as well that, you know, he's an employee of the Avalanche before maybe anything. And that's fine. The guy needs to keep his job. But to me, there could have been more context, a little more honesty in a way that the team doesn't have to say what Val's doing. If it's truly that personal where they just don't want to speak for him, that's fine. But to your point, Arif, the limited amount of information and the way that news travels I mean, the, the baseline, the very limited thing that you would do in this situation as an organization is say, we're, we're aware that this happened and we're looking into it internally. Like, yeah. can you imagine, like if, if the Avs said that, that would have, you know, put a big calm, I think, for a lot of people just to say, okay, like there's not all this total confusion uh, to where they won't even say where he is, right? Like, yeah. is he back in Denver? Like, no, we're not going to say where he is. It could have been, it would have been very easy to put out a statement or to have Jared read a statement saying Val Nachushkin is gone. It's personal reasons that are private that he would prefer we don't 
divulge and, and talk about publicly. Uh, he will be returning home. His return date is indefinite. However, I don't expect like just give more specific like it would have been so much easier because look, the reality is Jared Bedner. What I learned about him this year is he's a hockey guy. He wants to talk about hockey and coach hockey and win hockey games. And if he loses hockey games, figure out why he lost the hockey game. There is nothing that that dude hated more than in a 14-day, seven-game series, spending 11 of those days having to sit there and be like, no comment, no comment, no comment. Can we talk about hockey? Can we talk about hockey? I just want to talk about hockey. And then we lose, and you know he's probably sitting – and then they lose, and he's probably just sitting there like – that ate up the entire first round, you know, aside from the fact that you lost one of your best players, the distraction of it, because we couldn't just kind of divulge a little bit of information. And they did it last year. You know, I, I don't know if you remember the Bowen Byram situation where you right. were a lot of the days where you were working at the Denver post at the time, Mike Chambers showed up to, so, so Bowen Byram in January, after he got a hit from JJ, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was Bo Horvat. Uh, maybe. Yeah. 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 The elbow. Yep. 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 Bo Horvat hit him in, in January when he had returned from whatever his first concussion or, or injury was at the time. And, you know, it was at a point where he needed to get secondary opinions, uh, seek, you know, different help and different doctors. Instead of saying that, you know, like similar to what Landeskog did this year when he went to Sweden and kind of was like, you know, in Philadelphia at some point talking to other doctors, they said Bo is, has left the team for personal reasons. So taking from some reporters, I think Mike Chambers is one of them, figured out that Bo isn't on like a personal leave. He's seeking help for concussion issues from a different doctor and the team wouldn't divulge that. So what ended up happening for about a solid month was the reporter in, in Mike, who you were working with at the time last year, showed up to every practice, every morning skate, every game day saying, is there an update on Bo's personal leave? Is there an update on Bo's personal leave? And Jared, every single time would say, no, he's still gone for personal reasons. He's still gone for personal reasons and just kept repeating it where people were tweeting Mike and emailing Twike, Mike saying, it's not your business. You shouldn't be. And it's just like this all could have been nipped in the bud if Jared just said, Bo's got another concussion. He's working on that with doctors outside of Denver. He has taken, he's, he's seeking a second opinion and it would have just been one of those things where every week and a half, somebody says, Hey, any updates on Bo's health, but they decided to go the different route, which again, this is not a Jared thing. It's just the way sure. that things, but the, 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 this goes back to, you know, Ryan Bolding, who, you know, at NHL.com, mm -hmm. the avalanche. And I've heard him say this before on his radio show with JJ, the avalanche, the issue with the way they run things is their head coach is the mouthpiece for everything. Mm. no matter what happens there could be any issues going on it all goes through the coach because that's the only guy you're talking to unless the gm talks before or after the trade deadline before or after the season yeah and, so and that's jared classic control being, right classic exactly. control yeah. yeah so jared ends up being the only guy that's giving any public information so you know damn well he's walking down the hallways with the pr staff before the nichushkin thing before the byron thing even the way the landis injury was handled yeah, right. You know, exactly. You gave us a 12 week timeline. And then at week 14, he said, well, during the 12 weeks, the timeline had changed. When did it change at the <laughs> seven week part? Did you guys realize it was a five month injury and you couldn't just say because during the time when it quote changed, we weren't given any updates. So it just it becomes hard to be a journalist. And and, and look, I, I, I know what a lot of listeners are going to think. It's you guys cover hockey for a living. Don't complain about it. And this is not a complaint. It's just a sure. general discussion of how things are handled. Um, and that's another example of it. The Landeskog thing was they were just very mum on certain things to the point where during Landeskog's presser, Peter bought the athletic asked Gabe. Now that we know you're done for the season, now that we know you're seeking, you know, this is the first presser that he had, the one in person at the trade deadline for, for listeners I remember right before the trade deadline. Now that you know you're not playing this year, can you tell us what the injury is? And he went right into it. Uh, I forgot what the what the refreshing, right? The, it yeah, was the... He went right into it. It was the uh, I forget what it was. It was patella cartridge. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the patella, the patella under the. Like right, or right yeah yeah so like he he whatever it was he explained the specifics and i was like i was not expecting that because this team never does that but gabe the same way that he dealt with his second press conference in terms of telling us what he's doing where he's doing it the doctor etc 
you can tell he's a guy that's just like, look, this is my information that I'm getting out. That's a guy that seems to have a little bit of control of how his news is going to be handled because when it's handled the general PR way, it's, it's handled the old school way. Right. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a weird deal. It prevents the league from growing in, in a certain way. I think just not only the abs, but other teams that, that have a similar style. Um, but you know, it, and you touched on this before, but there's also uh, this strange sentiment that I get sometimes from, you know, fans of the team or readers to where it's, you know, our, the idea that us asking Bednar all those questions about Val was, was inappropriate. And that's, that's a strange way to, to look at it. And, and yeah. I, I see it coming from a fan's angle. They love the team so much that they, they feel like the players are their friends or their family. Like they take it personal but at the same point, like we work for the readers, like like we're asking these questions because we're trying to give people answers. And and even if the answer is no or, or no comment, like that is still an answer. And it's still important, you know, for the conversation that we're having, you know, when, when guys are making, you know, millions of dollars and and fans are showing up to the arena, spending their hard earned money to watch these guys. There should be some expectation of transparency there. And, you know, I come from the college sports world where I think it's even more important because those are public universities dealing with taxpayer money. Mm. Um, you know, those head coaches are the most highly paid public figures in the entire state usually like in, in that space that I think there really needs to be that accountability, but even in pro sports, I, I think that these teams need to understand who's essentially paying the bills and why it's important to be honest to them. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's one of those things where I uh, just the way that, just the way that the NHL in general handles, you know, things like that, the way it affects, like you said, it affects the growth. And basically what I'm getting at is in terms of where the league is at, in terms of the way that, like you said, you're newer to the sport or not newer, but like you were newer to sure. being fully in on, on the NHL and you saw the way that, you know, the product was being handled and you saw the way that the NHL, like you saw the product on the ice, you, you decided this is something that's better to watch. What is it about this league to you? Cause I have opinions obviously, cause you know, I'm a hockey guy through and through, but right. I grew up watching every sport. I watch basketball. I watch football. I grew up watching a lot of soccer. I love tennis. I watch literally everything, but hockey's my bread and butter. What is it to you? that holds this sport back outside of that transparency. Cause that transparency is a big one. It's a massive one, especially in this day and age where, you know, for example, gambling is a big thing and we're getting that Cal McCarr has an upper body injury after taking an elbow to the head. And we know what it is. For example, before Kyle, I'll give Kyle a second to think about that and mull it over. And I want to throw in my, just my two cents on that because here I am currently watching the, the final of the world's great crowd there in Finland. And I think in today's day and age with, uh, just the, the accessibility to be able to watch teams from around the world, no matter what level. I, I mean, to me, it feels like hockey has grown tremendously in the last five, 10 years because of the product on the ice. Exactly what you're saying. People are realizing, wow, this is entertaining as hell. People around the world are suddenly gravitating towards their local teams, all, you know, minor professional as they may be. And at the same time, people around the world are figuring out how to watch NHL games. I mean, we have fans all over the world, right, Eric? We have listeners. We have people that tweet at us. We have people that we follow from around the world, which I think, you know, 20 years ago was an impossibility. So, yeah, there's some things holding hockey back, maybe the NHL more so, but I also think they've taken so many great strides recently. So I, I want to actually talk about that for a second because that's something you often hear. You know, the Ottawa Senators are on the verge of getting sold for about a billion dollars. Um that's a bottom five importance, relevance, just the way that they've been handled since their inception in 1993. Their first ownership didn't have the money to fund the team. In 2003, he sold and Eugene Melnick ended up coming in and buying the team. He was financing just to pay for the product and to pay for it. And then obviously he passes away. And now the NHL is looking for an actual solid, stable owner for the Ottawa Senators. And this is a team that's still going for a billion dollars. They have an arena, Kyle. I think you went to Ottawa, right? Mm -hmm. They have an arena that is not in Ottawa. It's in Canada. It is yeah. way the fuck out. I was born in Ottawa. The arena is about an hour away from where I was born in a hospital in the heart of downtown Ottawa. Right. Uh, so it's not really in Ottawa. Uh, it, well, an hour with traffic, I should say. Um, 
And that team is getting sold for a billion dollars. The Seattle Kraken, $650 million expansion fees just a couple or three years after the Vegas Golden Knights paid $500 million in expansion fees. The growth of the NHL where the, the salary cap started at $39 million in 2004 uh, for the or sorry, 2005 for the 0506 season, even though in 2004, when the Avalanche, when Patrick Wall retired and they signed Salani and Korea and they had Peter Forsberg and Rob Blake and Joe Sackick, they had over 80 million dollars in salary that one season alone, which is equivalent to what they are going to have in 2023, 24, 20 years later, <laughs> which is Man, why that's crazy. So, I had no idea. Yeah. So Peter Forsberg in 2004, Kyle made 11 million dollars. Wow. That's amazing. The uh, league must have been booming, right? Joe I mean, Sackick made nine point four. The Detroit Red Wings had about a ninety million dollars salary cap uh, or salary uh, structure in two thousand two when they won the Stanley Cup. The Toronto Maple Leafs were trading for every big name known to man, from Owen Nolan to Brian Leach to Alex McGillney. They were adding everybody that was a big name, making big money because there was no cap. Hmm. But what I'm basically saying, all of that to say, is to go off of what JJ was saying, the NHL has grown. The NHL used to make barely a billion dollars in revenue, and now they're up over, I think, 4.5 or 5 billion, some crazy ass number. The salary cap was 39. Now we're looking at around 83 and a half. The price and the cost of, a, of what a team used to be compared to what it is now, obviously it's growing, but it has not grown nearly enough compared to other sports and compared to the potential it has to be satisfied with the growth of the NHL. That's my biggest takeaway. There was a Sports Illustrated, I have it pulled up here. There was a Sports Illustrated cover photo in 1994. The Rangers just won the Stanley Cup, breaking a streak of 50-something years. I forget exactly what it was. Mark Messier's uh, guarantee, we're going to win game seven, and then goes out and scores the game-winning goal, and they win the Stanley Cup in 1994. Sports Illustrated's cover says, why the NHL is hot and the NBA is not. <laughs> Think of where that right. was 19, 20 years ago to the fact that now Steph Curry and half of Clay Thompson make more than the defending Stanley Cup champs in a single season. The growth of the NHL obviously is there, but compared to the potential of where it could grow, it is nowhere close to reaching any kind of successful number, in my opinion. And, and that's a good transition looking back at when maybe it was at its peak or close to its peak in the mid-90s, what also wasn't around in the mid nineties, the internet, right? So it seems like the NHL, like once the internet hit, like they kind of stuck, stuck to their old tradition, their old standards. Um, and when we're having this conversation about what the league could do to, to get on the same plane as, as some of those other big four sports leagues, um, I think it starts with marketing their stars, right? The, the, the one thing that I struggled with a lot this year, maybe the most frustrated I've been on the beat um, the whole season uh, was that Avalanche Oilers home game, yeah. right? And it was McKinnon and McDavid. And, you know, I'll be on, you know, I'll, I'll wear some of this. As reporters, we can request that we talk to players, right? Like if I if I was dying to talk to Connor McDavid, I could have went through their PR staff and said, hey, this is the story I'm writing. This is why I want to talk to Connor. Like, shouldn't let's have to. set this up. But yes, you shouldn't have to. It was crazy. You know, I was there with Carson Field with the Gazette. You know, his whole purpose of being at the game was writing a sidebar about McKinnon talking McDavid and McDavid talking McKinnon because, you know, whether you like it or not is maybe a hardcore hockey fan. Those are the storylines that bring in the casuals, right? The people who are like, I don't really know anything about hockey. I, I, I don't know how the game works. But, oh, man, I saw a highlight of Connor McDavid the other night where he just did some stuff that, like, I've never seen before, right? So you, you grow your game by celebrating its, its talent. And, but after that avalanche Oilers game, McKinnon and McDavid didn't talk before or after the game. It, yeah. And it was just madness to me because you just wouldn't get that in any other sport. And I think the PR staff that I've come across that is the very best at that is the golden state warriors. Um, one of my best friends from college is Anthony Slater and he's covered the warriors for a long time for the athletic and I mean, even for visiting media, like you could get Draymond Green for a one-on-one. -on -one. Like, like they tell you that. Like I sat around at a table um, at an NBA game where they were playing each other. And the guy's like, yeah, if you ever need, you know, Clay or Steph, just let me know. You know, we can get them. 
And like, I was stunned. I was like, wow, like the very best players on the planet, they just make them that openly available. But that's why people care. There's access, you know, there's, they know their opinions. The NBA at times is a soap opera, but it grows the game because of that drama and that intrigue and the way that they're able to sell it. So I don't have all the answers. You know, I I don't think that overnight, all of a sudden you're going to get that name recognition with kind of the wide area of fans, but but it's the place to start. And it, and it should be a bare minimum, right? Like, like I shouldn't have to ask for either of those guys to talk uh, before or after a game. So, you know, maybe you guys have some, some additional ideas on that, but to me, that's just the perfect place to start because it's so low effort. And yes, I I understand. Yeah, and, and McDavid not might not want to talk. You know, maybe he doesn't want to do commercials on TV. Maybe McKinnon, you know, doesn't want to be a, a brand ambassador and doing stuff on social media. But he needs to be, right? And, and a good PR staff explains to him, yes, this might be time-consuming and you don't love this, but this is good for you and it's good for the brand, you know? And uh, if anything, that should be the message that the Avs are, are giving out instead of just letting their players at times really be in control of their own media access. Well, the reason why the NHL does a terrible job at this, and I'll say this before I go to the point that I was just about to make, is Connor McDavid makes $12.5 million per season. Nathan McKinnon, as of this next upcoming year, is going to make 12.6 per season. They're not going to go above and beyond and grow a game where they're making 12.5, 12.6. And no offense to these guys, but guys like Jeff Skinner are making nine. Yeah. Guys like Johnny Goudreau are making 9.8. Guys like Seth Jones are making 9.5. So you're telling me we have to carry this league on our back and we're not even maxing out contracts because teams can't do that. And even though maxing out a contract is 20% of a cap. So do the math. The salary cap head is 83, 20%. If Nathan McKinnon signed a max deal this past year, it would have been 17 point something million, not even 20. So why would I go above and beyond? And I love to go back to my initial point, what you were saying about the internet, because this is where let's, let's go back to what you said about gatekeeping. Connor McDavid is a traditional hockey guy. He grew up knowing this is the next best, biggest thing in a small town in Canada. Well, not even a small town. He grew up outside of Toronto. Uh, the same way Sidney Crosby grew up in Halifax and Halifax, which is obviously a small town that we know of because that's where Sydney or that's where Nathan McKinnon's from. Crosby grew up getting this PR training of just be as boring as possible. Say the right thing. Sidney Crosby is genuinely a great dude to talk to. I've had one conversation with him in a press conference where it carried on for like with me and two other media guys for about 30 seconds after the presser finished. And you can tell he's a cool guy. Yeah. It's the same thing that I get from guys that have done one-on-ones with him, talk to, to him on the phone and have more personal re- relationships with him. Sidney Crosby can be what LeBron or Steph or any of these guys are for the NBA, but he wasn't raised to be that way, mm. which goes back to the gatekeeping thing. Right now, I am so intrigued and I am so curious how the NHL continues to handle Matthew Kachuk. Because I don't know if you guys saw the video going around yesterday where he was on the NBA panel right before the Heat and Celtics game. And if you haven't seen it, Kyle, go watch it. It's about a six-minute clip of Matthew Kachuk talking to Charles Barkley and uh, uh, Kenny the Jet Smith and and uh, Shaq, who's on there to just say, I don't know anything about hockey, but you <laughs> yeah. guys are tough or something. Like just some goofy-ass comment. Matthew Kachuk's the center of attention right now because the Florida Panthers just swept the Carolina Hurricanes. He scored three three game-winning goals and assisted on the fourth one. But if next season Matthew Kachuk continues to be what Kachuk is and what he wants to be and the personality and the uh, I'm going to score a goal and point to the exit and just get off the ice. Yeah, yeah. And just show my personality. How are people going to handle that? I mean, it was like this this year, but after a Stanley Cup championship run or at least a Stanley Cup final run in 2023, how are people going to handle that version of Matthew Kachuk if the Panthers are a bottom five team in January? They're going to be like, you know what? This guy's got to cut it out. It's not about you. It's about the team. Yeah, you want a cup, but it's time to remember it's about the team. Gatekeepers. Austin Matthews has a personality. Toronto strangled it out of him. And you see that with a lot of players now where – you know, as hockey fans, we gatekeep and we're like, oh, look at good Canadian boy over there in the corner, Kel McCarr. Mm. That's the guy that you should be looking up to. So I'm just so curious how Matthew Kachuk is handled. Because if the NHL does anything, or if the way that fans react to him does anything to kind of ease up how Kachuk is marketed, 
being the type of star he is playing in the market that he is now in, not in Calgary anymore. This is someone you gotta take a hold of. Matt Kachuk should be one of the faces of the NHL, not just because he's an incredible player, but because of his personality, his marketability, and he's in a market where they don't give a shit. Right. No one's going to come to Florida and tell you how to deal with your players. In fact, they want more of Kachuk being Kachuk because it actually puts eyeballs on a team that needs them. Right, so exactly. It goes back to the gatekeeping thing. This any the NHL just struggles with marketing their stars. It's why Nathan McKinnon and Kale, and uh, Connor McDavid and hell even Kale McCarr don't make millions of dollars more than the next guy. And it's why they don't give a shit about growing the game because just the structure, the cap, everything is kind of handled in a way where there needs to be like an entire reset. It starts with a new commissioner and it goes from there. And you're just, you're not going to get that overnight. And certainly as hell, you're sure shit not going to get that now with Gary Bettman because he is not going anywhere for as long as he's alive. I would, I would assume. All right, guys, normally we don't put the ad reads in, in post-production, but the conversation we were having with Kyle, I was enjoying it and I didn't find a good place to put a pause in. So we're going to slide it in right here for you guys. Of course, it's our friends over at Superbook Sports. You got to bring that big bet energy this summer with Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is the most trusted name in sports betting. And right now, use promo code MILEHIGH to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, they will match your first bet up to $250 with promo code MILEHIGH. Simply visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions or download the Superbook Colorado app in the app stores. Enter the promo code MILEHIGH and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Of course, gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Enjoy the rest of the show. The uh, the Crosby talk uh, gives me kind of an interesting question for you guys. Do you have a favorite hockey player that you've interviewed while you've had this job, whether it be Avs or, or non-Avs? Is there one guy who you just felt like, man, what an honest, good talker? Like, who, who comes to mind initially for you? Well, I, I, I slap myself on the wrist often because I don't feel like I've spent enough time in the visiting locker rooms as I should have throughout the years. Now in my 10th season, I just kind of started dabbling that in that this past se- past year. So I'm going to have to stick with former avalanche players. And my simple answer there is no surprise to anyone. It's Calvin Pickard, just because he was Ooh. friendly. He was friendly. He was honest and you know, he's not exactly the guy that everybody wants to talk to after every practice, every game, every whatever. So that way, when he did get his opportunities, he, you know, he kind of relished in it and kind of had this very laid back mentality of like, I know I'm not going to be in the NHL and, and this famous guy forever. I'm going to, I'm going to treat people with respect and I'm going to just enjoy it this time. And um, so, yeah, I think Calvin Pickard easily was my favorite player to, to talk to, to where, you know, I, we try to build this rapport with all these players all the time. They often put up their walls, but I genuinely could go up to Calvin Pickard and just have a conversation with him about whatever the hell I wanted. And I didn't feel like I was bothering him where I feel like, you know, nowadays it's it's tough to find a player like that. So the few that stick out to me, number one, it's hilarious to mention this name, but one of the guys that I talked to this year, like JJ, I mean, obviously my first three seasons here, I had three months of locker room access and then everything went to hell because of COVID. So I wasn't really interested in going to a lot of the press conference setting things for two and a half years. This past year, I started to dabble into it. The first name that sticks out is when Ottawa was in town, their captain, younger brother of Matt, Brady Kachuk was a really great interview. He was a lot of fun. Um, so there's a there's a common theme there with those guys. Um, another one that sticks out to me, Nikita Zadorov. He was great when he was here. I remember. Yeah, him I, pre- I was going to bring him up. Yeah. yeah, I remember him pre uh, COVID lockdown, and I remember him this past year when Calgary was in town, and he was still cracking jokes about Nathan McKinnon. Um, he's just just such a funny guy. He's hilarious. He's honest. He'll tell you what he feels. And it was something that even Calgary media media was kind of uh, blown away by because even they were, you know, they mentioned how Zadorov, there were games where he would come out and just say like, we lost because of me. If I was better, it would have been like, he's very, very honest, which you don't get a lot in, in Canadian markets, especially because no player wants to put himself kind of in, in the limelight like that, because what Zadorov said ended up becoming the headline of every paper. And he's right. Yes, man. Um, so he sticks out to me. Obviously, Nazem Kadri is an easy one because he's so honest. He'll always say what's on his mind off the off the record, on the record. He does not care the way he handled his suspension. He handles it with dignity, but he also is very honest about the way 
well, you can pick what suspension we're talking about at this point. He handles it in a way where he's very honest. Josh Manson was a lot of fun from the trade deadline last year until about November 1st this year before injuries started to get him in and out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. Like he lost interest in talking because he just wanted to play. Um, but those are some guys that stick out to me. Yeah, I, I would agree with your list, especially some of those more recent former abs. Um, with Kadri, um, I had an interesting experience. I was on a road trip in 2019 through Canada um, when the whole Don Cherry fallout happened, oh, right? And Kadri so being, yeah, right. And and so and and being in that locker room, and it was pretty crowded, right? Canadian market. I can't remember exactly where we were. Maybe Edmonton. Um, but here he is having to basically like you know, speak for someone who's making comments sort of about him, but they're not really about him. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's a really tough spot, but I thought he handled it wonderfully. Like he was very honest. He said, I mean, he essentially said he had no issue with Cherry's comments. If I recall uh, specifically what they were, but it was just the, it was a moment that I realized like, wow, this guy really is a leader, you know, like people Mm want to dog him for the suspension stuff and all of that but it's no surprise that he ends up being such a critical figure on that abs cup run and then you know when we're looking at the the room this year it's you know it goes without saying that miko rantanen really blossomed without landeskog in the locker room as being a guy who talks win or lose tough questions easy questions um you know he's he's cool with talking about his you know his, his upbringing and his, his childhood i asked him once just about uh, you know, the, the, the contraption that he made, might've shot on as a kid in, in the summers growing up in, in, you know, Finland, uh, you know, everyone's kind of got some weird stories, but he told me his dad built him a, a big plywood structure to where he could shoot at targets and his eyes lit up and it was just really cool. And, and, and it made me feel like, all right, here's a guy who, who feels comfortable having very personal conversations as to where if you ask Nathan McKinnon that question, I don't think he's going to give you a whole lot. Um, and, and maybe the last note, you know, one, one kind of category that I was talking with fellow reporters this year was like, who's the one player that you'd most want to go get a beer with? And my answer might be Alex Newhook, right? It just seems like every time I talk to him, he's just like a genuine down to earth guy. Like he it never felt like he had to like put on anything to talk to the reporters, right? Sometimes you see a guy kind of gets himself settled. He's like, all right, like, what am I going to say? With Newhook, it was just like sometimes it felt like we were just ripping back and forth. And, um, you know, that's another element of this job that I can appreciate is when our interview subjects treat our talks like conversations, right? Like there's not like an ending point to an answer or a question because you're just going back and forth. With some guys, that just doesn't work, um, but it does work with Alex. And I've always appreciated that. Yeah, I'm with that. And especially having Evan Rodriguez next to him, he's very similar and Mm -hmm. kind of, I say, I loved all year listening to those two go back and forth among each other. And, you know, they, they were very candid about and a lot Logan, of Logan on the other side of Evan. Those three, yeah. those three guys are just so great to talk. Low key, funny Logan for sure. Yeah, he is. I wanted to coattail off of your Miko Rantanen comments and maybe, you know, wrap this conversation up about, you know, the NHL growing the game. And I know you guys both remember this, uh, the, the gate, it was a stretch there where he kept yelling at the refs, kept getting penalized or, or penalties weren't getting called, um, against him. And he comes in the locker room and he's so flustered and frustrated. He wants to rip the refs, but you know, he's towing (laughs) his line of not saying what he actually feels. And I think that's one of the big problems in growing the game is they're out there on this battlefield, uh, completely separate from the rest of the world, right? They're cussing at the refs, they're cussing Mm -hmm. at each other and they're in this just 10 out of 10 mindset. And then they have to get off the ice and almost put on this professional hat and walk on eggshells, make sure they're not saying things that they shouldn't be. And I think that's just a hard adjustment to make. That's a hard switch to flip on, on, on a dime like that. Right. And so maybe I am with you guys. I think there's more that can be done from the players as far as efforting and, um, you know, making themselves present. But I also think there's an element to them where they just, it, it's tough to do. Like I've put myself in that situation. I know I'm just a men's leaguer, but I came off of a difficult loss one time and I sat myself down all pissed off and pouting about a game nobody cares about. And I'm like, what, how would I feel right now if some little jackass came and stuck his phone in my face and started asking <laughs> me questions about what happened? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it very well. So it's just, it's, Again, it's it's part of the job. It's it's why you can say to Connor McDavid, you are the class of the class. You are let's just throw out a random number. You make 25 million while the rest of the stars make 12, 13, 10, 9. 
this is what comes with it. And, and again, like I don't put this on the players. I don't, I don't, I, I kind of do because it's part of the problem, but I don't entirely put it on the PR staff of, of individual teams. It's just the general culture around the NHL in general is to do things this way. And, and that's, that's kind of where my issue is. Again, it's, it's a giant thing that needs to start from the top and get entirely flushed out and start brand new, which is what makes what I'm hoping to happen a lot more impossible than, than other ways to go about it. Yeah. And it's, it's a great game, man. I, I've been saying it the whole podcast, but there's just something about hockey that separates it from other sports and it deserves to be celebrated. So you know, it's, it's very bizarre to me that the league has also been run by one person for the last 30 plus yeah. years. Right. And so I'm, you know, I'm sure Gary Bettman is very good at his job in some ways, but the idea that you can grow when you only have one person talking at the very top, it's just not going to happen. It's, it's, it's Gary's way or it's nobody's way I would imagine at this point. And, you know, if, if these aren't prerogatives that are that important to him, and if he's more happy with that measured progress to where, you know, he can come out before reporters and point to the numbers and the TV deals and say, Hey, we're, we're doing the right thing. But it's just kind of a, you know, a sideshow to much bigger cultural issues that I think this league's face. I, I don't think that it's impossible for them to get back. Right. Maybe in, you know, another 10 years, there'll be a new Sports Illustrated cover that's talking about how the NHL is is back to where it used to be. You know, I don't think that's out of the question, but getting a new commissioner, in my opinion, would help. Yeah, I mean, there's an argument out there that Gary Bettman's job is to make money for the owners, and he does a great job at that. And I agree, everybody's stock has risen, but it could be so much more. Right could be way more like again we're gonna sit here and celebrate that the ottawa senators are gonna get sold around 950 million maybe 1 billion and snoop dog might be part of the ownership group that wins it and then here's a pop quiz how much did the washington commanders just get sold for what was that like six billion or something billion dollars right on the nose six billion and we're over here clapping congratulations that a team in canada is going to get sold for almost a billion it's 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 night and day. And I, I'm not saying that the NHL has to have teams sell for $6 billion. It should. If the New York Rangers, if James Dolan ever put them up for sale, should. Is it James Dolan? Uh, yeah, I think it is. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, he does. He does because he owns the Knicks as well. Yeah, if, if, if Dolan ever put up the Rangers for sale, they should sell for that kind of a number. The Toronto Maple Leafs owned by both Sportsnet, NTS, and Rogers and Bell right now. It's a whole funky ass ownership group. Mm-hmm. Um, if they ever put the Toronto Maple Leafs up for sale, they should sell for those numbers. It's not about being as much and being as as valuable as the NFL teams and the NFL in general, but it's about being as valuable as you can be. And the NHL is not as valuable as it can be right now. Yeah, and, and that's why people like you are coming into the sport, having covered it for five seasons. You've been around for five years. This is your first time on the beat. And it's almost, JJ, you'll know this. Maybe you'll do it with Kyle as well. It almost, you almost sound like Tony X, the guy that suddenly <laughs> turned on a hockey game once and was like, holy shit. This a little is bit. Cool. Yeah. This is lit. Yeah. 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 Um, I guess, can you guys agree? I think our, let's settle on hockey globally is growing at a, at a satisfactory rate while the NHL can really make improvements yep. and, it, and, and, and global hockey, AKA the Olympics would, we, we could do another 40 minutes on that, which I won't <laughs> get into. It could be growing more globally because of something like the Olympics mm-hmm. having best on best, which it doesn't. Gotcha. For sure. And you know, the, the one thing I'll kind of end on just sort of looking at hockey culture and, and this media group we get to work with, love all the people that we work with. I got to say, it's another part of what makes this beat fun is we all get along and um, you know, there's, there's competition there, but it's not where people are nasty to each other. And I've, I've seen the opposite of that too. Um, but one thing I like about this beat and, and you guys both fall in this category are the number of men's league beer league guys who are covering this team and then for fun are playing late night hockey whenever they can get ice time. Cause I know it's just crazy to, to, to be able to get that sometimes. Um, so I give you guys credit, right? Like I don't think there's NFL reporters who are like playing, you know, competitive flag football, you know, on their off days, maybe there are, but I just seems like the more and more people I talk to on this beat, there are like just hardcore hockey people who love this sport and I respect that, right? Like I'm, I'm not going to be suiting up and, and playing in hockey games after I'm done covering them. Um, but it just shows the sort of level of dedication that you guys have to a sport that deserves more love, right? Like this podcast, all the work we do, hopefully that, you know, gets this team and, and gets this league to, to be in a better place. You know, it can't hurt. 
Yeah, and 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 I will say that that would be JJ. I don't play hockey. Okay, I wasn't sure. I wasn't <laughs> that's sure. Why, that's why I hover somewhere in the middle. I grew up the biggest NHL fan, uh, which is what I, why I love doing the podcast with JJ and why I like sitting beside him in the press box is because I will tell you, I have a lot of knowledge. I can humbly say that I will tell you anything you need to know about the team, the sure. players, the salary, the, the 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 game, the NHL, the leadership, the GMs, who traded for who in 1999, and blah blah blah. <laughs> But I can't do the X's and O's. That would be okay. JJ yeah. and, you know, the guy sitting next to him in the press box. So, you know, I kind of have that middle ground between the two. Um, I have hockey equipment. They sit in my garage on the top shelf collecting uh, dust, as JJ tells me, twice a month to come play hockey, and I don't. So <laughs> I should change that. Well, yeah. I did hear a, I did hear a rumor that JJ might have gotten kicked out of a men's league game. <laughs> twice or something? I don't know how you get ejected <laughs> twice. That was a... Uh... You know me, just like I, uh, li- I'm, I sometimes play the sheriff on Twitter. I play the sheriff on the ice too. <laughs> okay, uh, all right. Know, gotta tell people what they need to hear. But no, that's exactly it. The press box. I feel like the reason we all get along is yes, we're all covering the same team, but we all have our own unique ways of doing it. We all have our own different strengths of bringing this game and this team to the public. And, and that's what makes us all great. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun covering it with you guys. And, um, you know, I, I hope years to come we have this same group continuing to grow with each other because we're all so young too right we're about to see each other's careers blossom um let's see i had one more thing to say but i I think i forgot it but uh oh yeah hockey um yeah i'm absolutely that guy i think i even left in the second period after the second period of an early season game to go play a men's league game this year i remember that i'm absolutely that guy but that's what's so great about hockey is you know i know baseball players i know football players who played their last game in high school right Mm -hmm. whereas hockey this this drags on forever because they need money the rinks are like how can we make money these, <laughs> these old men are willing to pay um yeah to skate at 10 30 at night but right uh, yeah i think here's a great spot to leave it off kyle thanks for hanging out with us great conversation and i know we're gonna have you on um more times in the future especially as next year gets going but um, i would say honestly as the off season well not the off season completely but after the draft and free agency wraps up we can we can chat about the avalanches moves I'm, i know we're going to do it with peter but we can do it with kyle as well different heck, different perspective yeah man so i'd love that maybe in about a month and a half or so yeah Absolutely. this was all very journalistic heavy maybe next one we'll dive more in, into the yeah. team itself sure and, and, sure and we're, yeah we're still kind of waiting for the season to end it's it's really right, right now I, i'd love to see the stars uh make a series out of this but at the same time i'm also ready for the cup to be awarded and, and the next step to happen a month from today, the NHL draft first round, Man, crazy. you know, here I was during the first round, you know, everybody knows I just recently had a baby. So part of me was like, come on, avalanche, just get this over with. I need to have an off season here, but now that the Florida Panthers are in the final, I am kicking myself <laughs> and the abs in the butt for really screwing me over. You know how much I love going to Florida and doing that for the final would have been a dream come true for me. So now for two years in a row. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks again to Kyle. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us here on the podcast. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless that pretty little heart of yours. Let's make hockey for everyone. We got you.